Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Man, uh, today is the start of a new series called The Gift. And I hope and pray for you that Christmas is a blessing, but I know it's not for everybody. But we're going to talk about over the next few weeks as we lead up to uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus that we're going to lead up to the fact that he is the gift that we need. He's the only thing that we need. But you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, I, I got excited about Christmas and I've talked about this before and I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit, but Sears used to have this catalog, the, I think they called the wish book, and it was like this thick, huge thing. It was, man, it was this massive thing, color pages, all, it had all these toys, all these things, and man, I got so excited about things. Anybody remember that? You're afraid to tell you're that old? Did you remember that? Um, and some of y'all are like, what's a book? <laughs> you know, it's like, there's people all over the, the spectrum here. Um, but I used to be so excited about that thing. As soon as that thing came, man, it was just like, woohoo! It was almost as good as Christmas. And so you'd go and you start looking through and, you know, I would like circle stuff. I would like bend down the corners of the page and, you know, like keep laying it in front of my mom. You know, I'd, she'd be asleep. I'd go and lay it on her chest. So <laughs> when she woke up, that was the first thing she saw. You know, I was like, I want her to see. And I will tell you, one of the things that I always wanted, well, before I tell you mine, I, I want to see, is there something that you always wanted really, really badly that you never really got for Christmas as a kid? Does anybody just say it out loud? Okay. <laughs> Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. All right. What else? Anybody else? Pogo stick. Never got it. All right. What else? I see a hand back there. A wood chipper. <laughs> Probably a good reason you didn't get that there, Evan. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. I'll tell you what mine is. Mine that I always wanted but did not get when I was a kid was a Millennium Falcon, all right? Uh, Star Wars, if you don't know Star Wars, it is like the coolest looking, you know, ship that there was. It was this big flat thing, and it was just this amazing thing. And since I've been an adult, I've had some people who really love me who have gotten me like smaller miniature versions, and I've been so thankful. I mean, I've gotten a couple of smaller miniature versions. I've been really thankful, but you know what? It still ain't the original Millennium Falcon. Because the Millennium Falcon, part of the roof would open up and you could put in the action figures and it was just the coolest thing. And I mean, let's just face it, Han Solo was the coolest character in all the Star Wars movies. I mean, he was just the man. And then second to him was, who was also in the Millennium Falcon, was Chewbacca. That's right. You know, he was the, he was guy. And so I loved I never, ever got one. And so I really questioned if I was loved as a child. And most of you are like, yeah, you probably weren't. <laughs> But here's the thing. I was so, so, so thinking it was the most important thing. But in the grand scheme of things, even though it would be cool to have one of those original toy Millennium Falcons, it did not impact me in a negative way. It really didn't. You know, I, my life is still good. I still got so many things to be thankful for. And I'm telling you this. We have so much that we should be grateful for. But here's what I want you to think about. Sometimes we think we want something so badly for Christmas Maybe we ask for it, maybe we hint for it, and sometimes we don't get it, and it's a little discouraging. And then other times, we get everything that we wanted for Christmas, but as soon as the wrapping paper really hits the floor a few minutes later, 
You ever been sitting there and you just feel a little bit empty? You know, it's like you had to have this particular gift. You had to have all, all these gifts. And it's soon, I mean, you know, the stuff hadn't even been cleaned up yet. And it's already just sort of forgotten. I mean, if we can't relate to it personally, if you've had kids, you can relate to this, right? Your kid begged and begged and begged and begged and begged and begged and begged for this particular gift. And then they get it. They open it up. They're super excited. They're probably jumping up and down. Maybe they run up and hug you. You know, I don't know what they do. But then in like 10 minutes... It's already sitting on the floor in the corner and they've forgotten about it. You ever experienced that? That's a gut punch when you gave like a whole paycheck for whatever that thing was. It's like, I could just throw them out with the wrapping paper. Nobody would notice. You know? I mean, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to get to that point where it's like you build up all this enthusiasm, all this excitement, and you were counting it to make you feel fulfilled and happy. It's like, ah, we'll be just, we'll, we'll just all have it all. And then it's over. And really quickly, you know, sometimes even, even Christmas Eve, the next day, Christmas Day, can also almost be a letdown for us. If we're not focusing on the right person, if we're not focusing on the right things, it can all be a letdown. And so what we want to talk about is Jesus is the gift. And just to help you understand just how serious of a problem it is, Americans spent on Christmas in 2021, get ready for this. $886.7 billion, with a B, dollars. $886.7 billion. So we say kids, you know, want something and then they're done with it and it doesn't fulfill them, but a lot of us adults are the same way. And so we want to learn that Jesus is the gift to cherish if we're ever going to find contentment. And when the birth of Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah the prophet, it was a scary time of what was going on. You know, there was a lot of uh, just unrest and they were about to be taken over and Isaiah was telling the people, you know, because of your sin, because of your rebellion, there are going to be people that are going to come in and take you over and take you captive and they were terrified. I mean, we think things are rough and, you know, you look at the news and it's all depressing now, but man, if they had news then, they would be as equally depressed and they were just from word of mouth, but there was some hope. Babylon was coming to take them captive, but there was hope. God was going to fix it all. And so Isaiah was telling them, you better watch out. <laughs> you know, not the whole Santa Claus song, but these, these hordes of Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to take you over. You're going to be in captivity. You're going to be taken from your homeland, but things are going to be made right. God was going to fix it all. He was going to send his Messiah. The birth of the baby was foretold in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And, and so can you imagine hearing this news? Okay, we're going to be taken from our homeland. You know, we're going to be taken from our homeland. Everything we know is going to be taken away. It, it, nothing's going to be the same. And they're terrified. But then he says there's going to be the Messiah is going to come and it will be God with us. And so you get a little bit of hope, and you're like, I don't know when it's going to be. Is it going to be just a few weeks? Is it going to be a few months? Is it going to be, and the answer is it's going to be years. But what, when's it going to be? What are we going to do? How do we deal with it? And then we're given a little more detail in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, about what this Messiah will be like. And it says here, and this is our theme for this month, for to us a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If you've been around church much at all, you've probably heard that, at least that portion of that verse. And if you're like me, you might be a lot more deep and spiritually mature than I have been in my life. (laughs) But if you're like me, sometimes you sort of miss, it sounds cool, it sounds poetic, but what does that really mean, that he's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? What does all that really even mean? Now, to the, the Jews that heard this when they were in the midst of preparing for captivity and being taken over, it gave a little glimmer of hope. You know, it was like a little speck of light way off in the distance. And today we're going to focus on that first one, the wonderful counselor. Now, Some translations you read will have wonderful comma counselor, but most of them, there were no punctuation marks in the Hebrew, so that's just a guess on people's mind to put that in there. And so most people will group that into a two-word phrase, wonderful counselor, and we're going to focus on that. And that's important to us at this time of year. That's important to us in our world today, that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Do you know that 64% of individuals that are living and struggling with a mental illness feel that their conditions worsen, guess when? Holidays, Christmas especially. And for some, it's a lonely time. And for others, it's just a reminder of lost loved ones. And for everybody, it's not a joyful time. For many people, it's a difficult time. And yeah, they have some good moments, but there's a lot of struggling moments for them. And so how is Jesus, this wonderful counselor, Before we get too far, I want us to kind of reframe our mindset of what a counselor is. And, you know, in our modern minds, everybody, you know, if I polled every single person here, there'd probably be, you know, 70 different opinions. But a counselor, and we think of, a lot of times it's just someone to sort of listen to our problems and say, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right, and take notes, you know. You know, just sort of listen to us and as we vent, as we get upset, as we talk about our childhood, and we think that's what a counselor is only, is that they just listen and, you know, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And they reflect what you say back, you know, they sort of say it again so they, you know that they hear you. But a counselor, when it was written in, uh, to the Hebrews, to the Jews there in Isaiah, was not really someone who necessarily sat and let, listened to your problems in the form of, you know, you lie on the couch like the old stereotype and they sit there and, and talk with you about your childhood. When this was written, it was primarily a, a, a strategist. A a war strategist, a battle strategist, a a general who would come in and he would make this plan. And so if you are going into captivity, you're getting ready to be taken over by this foreign nation, do you think it might perk your ears up a little bit to hear about this wonderful strategist that's going to be coming into play? You know, it, it gives a little bit more depth. I mean, yeah, they wanted somebody to hear their problems, but the Jewish people had no trouble with mourning and, and with, with talking about their feelings. They did it quite frequently. A lot of their literature is that, this lament. And so to hear that there's somebody who's going to come and he's got a plan and he's not just a strategist, he's not just a planner, he is a wonderful strategist, that gives them hope. And so I want us to reframe our minds when we hear it to think that way as well. Now, I believe a modern counselor is really that as well. There's somebody who listens to what we have going on and they take it and they help us reframe it and figure out how to move forward in a healthy way. Is that right? Is that fair to say? 
And so it really goes hand in hand. So we can learn just as much from their understanding as we would have from our understanding. The truth is, is that to the Jews in Jerusalem, it would have brought hope. And the good news for us is that that still applies to us. It still applies to us because whether you know it or not, you're in a war. You know that? And it says in Ephesians that the war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people who think differently than you or, or vote differently than you or, or people who have different values than you. That's not who the war is against. It's against the powers of this dark world. The enemy, Satan, is out trying to destroy every single one of us. And I, I'll tell you this, and I'm not trying to just say, woe is me. But, man, there are some times when I'm preparing to preach a message and I just get overwhelmingly attacked on that particular subject. And this was no different. It was no different. I was getting these sort of spiritual gut punches all week long, little ways and small ways. Sometimes it was just little jabs. Sometimes it felt like haymakers. But I'm telling you, it was not fun. And at first I was thinking, what is this really a big deal? But I believe this is a message that all of us need to hear. And I believe that Satan was doing his best to try to make sure that you don't hear this. So I need you to do this. I need you to wake up. I need you to turn your ears on. I need you to really listen with everything you've got. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, I pray that you would bind the enemy's hands and that he would not steal this seed that is about to be planted or that he would not divert the water that's about to water the seeds that have been planted before. But I pray that your word would be falling on ears that are ready to hear and not only hear but be doers of the word and I pray Father that every single one of us would take this to heart and be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word in Jesus name we pray amen you see in Luke chapter 4 Jesus heads to Nazareth where he grew up to begin his ministry and he goes to the synagogue on that Sabbath day, and he reads from the scroll, and he reads this particular passage from also from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now I want you to get out of your 2022 mindset for just a quick second. I want you to transport yourself back to these first hearers of this this letter, this writing, this, this sermon, if you will, from Isaiah to those Jewish people who were in the midst of getting ready to be taken into captivity, then taken into captivity, He says, you feel like you are broken down. You feel like you were beat down, but you will be. And he closes it out with a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And he tells him earlier about, you know, he's going to provide for those who grieve and put on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise. And so when you feel like everything is working against you, 
you can know that God is going to make a way. He's going to make a way. And let me pause and back up because here's the truth. He is not going to. He is making a way. You just not, might not see it yet. And so open up your eyes. Open up your ears. Open up your heart. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. His strategy is foolproof. His strategy is foolproof. Our plans will fail time and time and time again, but he... The question is, will we heed his counsel? Will we listen to what he has to say? Will we listen to his plan? Because he tells us in that passage, if we do, there is good news for the poor. He says there at the beginning, he says, he has uh, appointed me or anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You know, maybe God is trying to tell you right now in this season that you're not defined by your possessions. Some of you have been defined by what you own or what you don't own. You've allowed yourself to be beat down and made to feel small. And sometimes it came at your own hand and in your own mind and your own thoughts rather than from the outside in. But you feel like you are not enough because you don't have what you consider enough. And I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. You are not also defined by what you do own. You are not any better because you have more stuff. You are just held more responsible for what you do with that. And you have a greater responsibility because you have more resources to help bless other people. And so we are not defined by what we have or what we do not have or what we own or do not own. But there is good news for the poor. And I love the fact that he uses this because in his first major sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. And he talks about, and I believe the way to understand that is that when we are poor in spirit, we understand who we are without him. And so I believe that's also a deeper layer of that good news for the poor that he has is that all of us, guess what, are poor. Do you remember what Jesus said in Revelation? You know, Jesus is a pretty smart fellow. He said a lot of really cool stuff. I don't know if you noticed. He's saying a lot of stuff here. Ooh, all right, yeah, yeah, waking up. All right, just made a little quick thing there. He said in Revelation to a church that thought they had it all together. They were wealthy. He said, you think you've got all this stuff together, but you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Isn't that a shame to not recognize your true spiritual uh, situation? So it's time for us to open up our eyes. There's good news for the poor. You're not bound or your identity is not in your stuff or your lack of stuff. Your identity is found in your position in Christ. You're not defined by your possessions or lack thereof. You're, you're defined by your position in Christ. Are you in Christ or not? And that's one thing that you can quickly change because there's grace for everybody. So there's good news for the poor. He also says there's healing for the brokenhearted. And man, if I could scream one point, it would be this one. Because if I could define the mass majority of people in our world and our society today, I would say brokenhearted is a good way to describe a lot of people. Brokenhearted because of failed dreams, because of broken relationships, because of lost loved ones, 
because of plans, the best laid plans, you know, <laughs> of mice and men that don't always come to be. Brokenheartedness is sort of the defining characteristic, it seems, of, of our generation. But I believe what Isaiah was saying is inspired by the Holy Spirit and what Jesus said as he read this in the fulfillment of it, in the beginning of the fulfillment of it, is this, is that your pain is temporary. Your pain is temporary. He goes on and he says there's freedom for the captives. He says he came to proclaim release from darkness for prisoners. How many of you came in here today and you're trying your best to make it seem like you've got it all figured out and you've got everything, you're trying to put a smile on? <laughs> but on the inside, you feel like you're in chains. On the inside, you feel like you're in chains because of your past mistakes or maybe what somebody did to you that you had no control of. And you feel like they still, even though, you would, even though you would shout it from the rooftops that they don't have any power over me, they still are controlling you and they don't even know it. How many of us are feeling owned and in despair and in the pits of gloomy darkness because of something that we did or something that was done to us and we just don't know if we can get out? The good news is that Jesus is a chain breaker. And he is one who can bust down all the walls of the prisons. He's done it multiple times. And he can destroy and has given the power to destroy every prison, every chain that is on you. And the truth is, is that many times the chains have been freed or released from us. And you know what we've done? We're taking them and we're trying to put them back together. And we're just sitting there brokenhearted. And we're like, I, you know, I just can't get up and go anywhere. I, I, I'm supposed to be here. You know, I, I can't move forward. I can't leave. And we are divisors of our own prisons oftentimes because we have been set free if we are in Christ. But Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the captives because his plan is better. And he all goes on and he talks about, and this is my paraphrase, but justice will reign. Jesus said there to Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And I'm telling you, this is something probably many of us need to hear. We need to hear that one day God will make it all right. Because how many people walk away from their faith in Jesus or do not want to have anything to do with God because if God is so good, why is this world so bad? Can I give you an answer that you've probably heard before? And you may have scoffed at, but I guarantee you it's the truth. This world is so bad. God is still good, but this world is so bad because we continually reject him over and over and over. And that's sort of the whole point of what I want us to reframe our minds about today is that he is the wonderful counselor, the wonderful strategist, the wonderful planner, but we've got to learn to trust him. How many of you? How many of you, you know, have had a little child, you know, around three, four years old or been around one babysat, you know, little brother, little sister, and, you know, they're three years old and they're starting to understand a little bit more and they think they can do everything. And you're like, all right, it's time to get dressed. And it's like, no, me do it. 
You know, no, me do it. You know, and so they take their pants and they put them over their head. No, me do it. And you're trying to like, no, come on, come on, let me help you. No, me do it. You know, it's like, all right, come on. Now you step in. No, me do it. And they turn around and me do it. They get so mad. But how many of us are like spiritual three-year-olds trying to fix our own mess? And God is trying to say, look, I've got a better way. I want to help you. I want to guide you. I've, I've got it all figured out here for you. And what do we do? We turn around and we shake our fist at him. No, me do it. You know, we put our underwear on the outside of our pants, <laughs> spiritually, just like a three-year-old. And we get so angry and we blame our parent. You know, you know, we look back at pictures of us when we're grown up and we're like, Mom, Dad, why did you dress us like that? I tried telling you, you little dummy. <laughs> and, and we get so angry, but we need to learn that justice will reign and that God will make it all right, that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the, the day of the vengeance of God will be here, that he will punish every sin that is not covered by the blood of Jesus and he will make it all right. And he goes on and says this, they will comfort those who mourn. This week, my wife's uh, great-grandmother, or excuse me, her grandmother was laid to rest and we gathered together as a family in Virginia and uh, she was almost 95 years old. <laughs> she lived a great life and left an amazing legacy of faith and just one of those people that, you know, a lot of times when you go to people's funerals, and people are talking about him, you're like, is that really the person that's dead? <laughs> She's not one of those people. Like, everything people said about her was true. She was a good and kind and faithful woman. And, and as, as joyous as we are, the fact that she is with Jesus, it's still heartbreaking. And there was still mourning and there's still tears. And for us, until Jesus comes back, there will be mourning and there will be tears. We're told not to mourn like those who have no hope, but there's still going to be mourning and tears, but there will one day be a day when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes, when we get to see him face to face, and all the things that were wrong will be made right. There will be no more mourning, none of that. And he goes on and he says that they will give a crown of beauty for ashes. The commentator, Matthew Henry, he points out something really important. He says this, and if you would show that next slide up there. He will give fear, in Hebrew, beauty for ephir, ashes. You know what's interesting about those two words that are used almost back to back? If you notice, the one E is moved from the middle to the front of the word, and it's all the same letters. And so God doesn't make any mistakes. He told Isaiah to use these particular words. He says, I will give you beauty for ashes. You'll have ashes, but I'll give you beauty. And it was fear and ether. And so what I believe he wants us to understand is this, is that just as quickly as you and I can switch one letter to another place, God can change your whole circumstance. God can change your whole circumstance just with the word of his mouth. And you and I need to rest in that. And you and I need to own that, that he will give us beauty for ashes. We may not have anything to stand before him with in our hands, but he will give us beauty for ashes, a crown of beauty. And then he says, of joy instead of mourning. 
The oil of joy instead of mourning. You know, oil on the body was a norm in that culture, and ashes were the sign of mourning. You know, they would not put any oil on their head when they were in mourning. And so he said, no more. You will have the oil of joy instead of mourning. And that's referenced in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9 uh, as well, where Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that. And then he says, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. There's no gloom or doom or mourning. There is celebration and shining. And you and I need to wrap our hearts and our minds around that. And here's why I think that it's a struggle. We continually want to go back and pick up our old chains We continually want to go back even though we've been given a crown and we'd rather have the ashes. We continually want to go back and take off our garments of joy and salvation and we want to put on our old filthy rags. Paul writes about that in Colossians. That we want to go back to those things and, and, and Isaiah talks about it again that you know even our best things that we do aren't good enough and they're like filthy rags to God but here's what I need us to understand here's what I need to understand we have to stop trying to do things our way we have to stop being spiritual three-year-olds arguing with God said no me do it and try to do it his way humble ourselves and trust that he is able And he also says that you will be oaks of righteousness for a display of his splendor. That one may be the hardest to understand. And you may be putting yourself down and you may think I will never be an oak of righteousness. But what does an oak of righteousness start out with? Start out as a a nut. (laughs) and that's what most of us are right we're a little bit nuts you know we may not feel like we have a lot to offer but a mighty oak starts as a small acorn it is in the ground and then it grows up to be a mighty oak and so it it says in I, i love the old testament passage and forgive me for not being able to put the right reference to it right now but you know it says do not despise the small beginnings You know, God is doing something right now, and you may not see it, you may not understand it, but believe and trust that he is doing something massive in your life if you will allow him to. And he is going to allow you to become a mighty oak of righteousness. And it's not to give you glory, it's to give him glory. A display of his righteousness, of his splendor. We can stand strong in Jesus. You can do it right now. But the question is, is will you? Will you stand strong in him? Psalm 61 verse 1 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Has your heart ever been faint? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I I think this is so fitting because I I love how it's uh, Psalm 61 verses 1 through 3 and our main 
portion we studied this morning is Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I love how they're like mirror passages almost because you and I need to stop trying to do things on our own and instead go to the rock that is higher than I. Stop trying to think and figure out things on our own and ram our own opinions down this world's throat and trying to solve and be and, and fix and heal everything on our own power. Are you going to Jesus for your strength? Or you're relying on your own strength and wisdom. Remember Abraham? Abraham lied a couple of times instead of trusting God to protect him and his wife Sarah and said, oh, she's my sister. Couldn't God have figured out another way around? And he still did. He still did. But Abraham tried to do it his way. Sarah... Abraham's wife, when in their old age they were told that they would have a child after having none for all those years, you know, God said, you're going to have, you'd be the, the father of many nations. And she said, I believe you, God. And then she went around trying to do it her own way, right? Causing a big old mess. We can be so much like Sarah. We can be so much like Abraham. And then Jacob he comes and he is uh, told that he will have the birthright, that the you know, older will serve the younger brother of his, his twin brother Esau. And yet still, instead of waiting and trusting God's time, and what does he try to do? He tries to lie and fool and trick and scheme. You know, he lives up to his name of cheater. He grasps the heel. That was his name, literally. You know, he, he tries to do it his own way. And I, I tell you this, you read these passages of Scripture, and you might be sitting there saying, oh, Abraham, Abraham, how, why do you do that? Why don't you just trust God? Sarah, oh, Sarah, what a silly woman. Why don't you just trust God? Oh, Jacob, my, my, why are you such a liar? Why are you such a cheat? Why are you always trying to get over? And you and I are Abraham, Sarah, and Jacob. Why don't we just trust God? Trust his timing, trust his plan, trust his scheme, if you will. Trust his strategy, his wonderful counsel. Trust it, trust it, trust it. But the problem is, you may be thinking, well, okay, that's all well and good, but I just, I, I just can't wait. I just can't wait. I just don't know if it's ever going to happen, so I just need to help be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what we would say. We, I'll be the hands and feet of Jesus, and I'm going to get this ball rolling. I'm just going to help God out. He's got a lot on his plate, so I'm going to help take and tackle this part of my life. You know, free him up to do some good for somebody else. You know, I, it'll be good. Think about Joseph. Remember Joseph's story? It says that he was a good and a righteous person, and time and time again, he gets messed over, messed over, messed over. His own brothers were going to kill him and instead sold him into slavery just so they could make some money. And then when he's trying to do the right thing, a, a woman accuses him falsely of a, of a crime, and he's thrown into prison. And, and then he becomes the head of the prison, or, you know, pretty quickly becomes the head of prison, but he gets a way out, and the people forget to tell about him and get his way out. And then ultimately, year after year after year, goes by, and God starts to do some good, but then he gets knocked down again. And God starts to do some good, and he gets knocked down again. But then finally, he gets to be second in command over all of Egypt. The greatest dynasty in the world at that time. He is second in command of all this stuff. And he's sitting there, and then of all the things that happened, those brothers that started it all, screwing his life up, get dropped into his lap. And he could have easily, just at the snap of his fingers, had their lives taken from him. But it took decades for God's plan to be fully revealed, and Joseph was just patient enough to trust 
And so I say all that to say this. Maybe today you may be thinking God's plan isn't working quick enough and you'll go ahead and try to fix it your own self and you'll try to make your own plan and your own scheme and your own counsel. But what will you be missing by not waiting for the timing in the hand of God? What will you be missing by not waiting on his timing? In what ways are you trying to do God's work for him instead of doing things his way and in his time? I want you to answer that for yourself. Not for your neighbor, not for your husband or your wife. But in what ways are you trying to do God's work for him instead of doing things his way and in his time? What good does it do to go to a counselor and then not take their advice? We claim to go to our good counselor, our wonderful counselor, Jesus, but seldom do we take his advice. And so if we turn to the wonderful counselor that is Jesus, our lives can be free from guilt, free from shame, free from burden. And the question I want to sort of round this up with today is, are you free today? Has your way been working out? To quote the great strategist, Dr. Phil, (laughs) just kidding. How's that working out for you? How is your plan working out for you? Is it succeeding? If your plan is following the plan of Jesus, and I guarantee it's working, it may not be perfect and rosy. You might be going through prisons and you might be going through dungeons, but then he'll lift you up out of the pit. But how is your plan working for you? Are you trying to run your life and fix your life and choose your path and choose God's answer instead of waiting on his? We've got one last slide, I believe. It's a QR code. <laughs> Open up your phone and you can just put, turn your camera on and hold it up there and a link to our Bible uh, page, version page, will come up. And we've got the plan that we're reading right now together as a church family. There's quite a few of us that are reading this plan together every day. And when that runs out, we'll add another one. And so your next move today for all of us is really simple. There could be many, but I want to give you one. The way that we know God's plan and his timing and trust it is to get into his word. We can try to scheme and devise our own ways, but if you are not regularly in God's word every single day, I I say every single day, you will continually drift and try to fix things on your own way, on your own strength, on your own timing, on your own plan. So maybe today your choice, your move is to say, God, I'm going to listen to your voice through your word. And I'm going to make it a habit to start my day every day hearing what you have to say so that I can trust that you are the wonderful counselor, the wonderful strategist that can help guide my life that I will continually mess up if I don't lay it in your hands. But I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity today to just give it all up to Jesus if you've never done so. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you want him as Lord and Savior, you can come because you believe in him. You're willing to turn away from your life of sin, confess him as Lord. You can meet him in baptism, and he'll wash away your sins, and he'll give you his Holy Spirit. And that is the first and most powerful way that you can submit to the wonderful counselor. But today, listen to his voice. Listen to his counsel. and Start allowing him to guide your life. 
or give it back to him. Give it back to him. Let's stand with him. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.